With you another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz talking the world of Hawkeye athletics with you. Iowa fresh off their first of two idle weeks on the season. The other one will come up in the first Saturday in November before they take a road trip up to Wisconsin. This one, a little bit different on the heels of the victory against Iowa State. It's Middle Tennessee up next. Biz, how's the bye week, the off week been for you? Beating idle was huge for the Hawks. They, uh, they moved up four spots in the polls by uh, by sitting at home and doing nothing. So, but yeah, bye week was pretty pretty uneventful. I'm ready to get back to watching some uh, Iowa football again. Uh, I think the bye week was great for the team, but not so great for fans. Let's get back and uh, get the, get the get the season back rolling again. Well, there was a positive story and then a story that completely blew up with Carson King and and that was such a heartwarming story. And then what happened with the Des Moines Register? I'm sure we will touch on that here today. You had Bandgate happening and the back and forth and the athletic departments, both of them certainly with egg on their face and how bad they looked at times. It was an idle week for the Hawks, an off week, and they moved up, as you said, in the rankings. But still plenty to get into here, both uh, for what I do and, and for everybody around the water cooler here the last week and a half. Yeah, well, Bandgate's kind of taken a, a back seat with all the uh, the craziness that's gone in the last 48 hours. But uh, I, I wanted to at least touch on that because you know, Trent, I never pass up an opportunity to uh, to, to analyze the, the the wonderful ways that uh, Gary Barda handles investigations. So uh, you, you ready to, to dig into that for a little bit? I really am because obviously your mind, the way that your mind works, I get a kick out of it, your profession – Certainly, I think, adds a different layer to it, too. And the way that you look at things here and just the way that the University of Iowa, I mean, we we see it, athletic departments across the country. I understand we're very close here. We It's the program that we follow the closest. And because of that, you know, maybe that does skew things a little bit here. But I just time in and time out, I can't believe the ineptitude by that athletic department. That's basically a, a Yet another episode of how not to handle an investigation, Trent. And, and this one blows my mind because this investigation should have been a layup. I mean, this was not rocket science by any means. I mean, this was one that should have been really easy. They should have just came out a day or two after the, they found out about this and said, hey, we, we were aware that there was multiple uh, alleged incidents involving the band and fans. We're going to do a very thorough investigation. We're going to talk with everybody involved. When we finish that investigation, we will let you know what happened. And instead, they did everything except for that. I mean, let's go back through, kind of look at the timeline, because it's amazing. I jotted it down here. There were six different steps that were taken. And I think it's important to go through all six, because they were all handled just absolutely terribly. I mean, it just it blows my mind. So you're ready to kind of uh, go step by step at the ineptitude? Not a surprise that there's six Steps of ineptitudeness, but here we go. Well, step one, the initial start of the investigation, uh, Gary Barda and the uh, apparently 
somebody else involved also, as we'll get to later, but the University of Iowa puts out a press release just confirming that, that something bad happened to the band, but they made it an incredibly vague um, press release, just basically said, we can't tell you what happened, but, but something bad happened, and we'll look into it. But, but again, very vague, didn't, didn't get into any specifics, and didn't lay out exactly what they were going to do, just kind of, uh, in my mind, an absolutely pointless press release. It served no purpose whatsoever, so that's that's step one. And then step two, you have uh, Jamie Pollard's response to that, which is basically, well, all I know is what's in this vague press release. Do we really even know anything happened? I mean, what is Jamie Pollard thinking in that situation? Why does he just come out and say, yes, we're aware that there's an investigation going on and we'll, we'll cooperate with it and, and get to the bottom of it. But uh, you know, now you've got two parties involved, both Barda and Pollard, that are obviously uh, you know, not going to back down at this point. They're each going to going to fight for their respective universities, which I guess is good, but uh, the way they handled it was just atrocious. So then you get to step three, which is they apparently get together and then issue a joint statement, which I'll just, this is the exact words from the joint statement. We realized it would be difficult to verify details, so we decided to move forward. So what does that mean? I mean, does that mean that basically they determined this was going to be really hard work and, and going to take a lot of effort, so let, let's just ignore it? I mean, I, I, I baffled. I mean, what's your thoughts on that joint statement? What, what would be the thought process behind, we realize this is going to be very difficult, so let's just move forward? But that's astounding to me that you'd ever put that in a, in, a, in a joint press release. Yet here we are, so... For many people, they thought, well, this story is over. Maybe there'll be something that comes out days, weeks, right. months that's ahead. But what they, That's obviously yeah. what they were hoping. They were hoping it was just going to get swept under the rug at that point. But the, the people that were allegedly assaulted and many other people that were involved in this, they were going to go quietly, so we continue. So then you get to step four, which uh, is when President Harold gets involved. <laughs> and I don't know, did you actually listen to his actual interview? Yes, yes, I did. I, I read... A lot of transcripts. That was one, though, that I definitely listened to the whole thing. And that was somebody definitely fired up. Wow. I, I mean, I don't want to uh, speculate or, or anything, but there's a, there's a decent chance he may have been intoxicated during that, that uh, interview. It was just one long, rambling, run-on sentence. I mean, he just couldn't keep a coherent thought and just kept rambling on. And it was complete and total grandstanding on his part. Does any realistic Iowa or Iowa State fan think that there's, for one second, that they're actually not going to play a football game next year, that they're going to end the series? And he just decided that that was going to be his takeaway from this whole thing, is that uh, you know we may just stop playing this entirely. I mean, it's just complete grandstanding on his part. So you know, now you've got a third party involved. You've got Barda, Pollard, and Harold, who have all – looked like fools, but not, let's circle back. The last two parts, you get Pollard and Barta kind of putting in their last word each, and uh, again, just shockingly poor job by both of them. You, Pollard, who rushes to come out with a statement, and the statement basically says, okay, we, we admit it, something bad did happen. There were five incidents involving the band, but maybe the band's to blame for this, and Iowa fans do bad things also. So, so is that supposed to make it okay that because Iowa fans have done bad things in the past that uh, Iowa State fans can do it as well? I mean, again, just shockingly poor thought process by him. But then you circle back to the uh, to Gary Barda, who gets the last word in this, because he, he decides to uh, come out and 
state that, no, nope, I never said we didn't investigate this. What, or we, that we ended the investigation, sorry. I mean, what in the world is he talking about when he says, I never said we're, we're ending the investigation? He put that in a press release the week before. Yeah. When, he got called, when he got called on it by a reporter who said, well, your press release says otherwise, he basically just decided to throw uh, everybody else under the bus and said, well, that statement came from a third party. What? Are we supposed to believe that he, as the athletic director of the University of Iowa, didn't review or approve that statement before it went out, and, and that somehow he is surprised that some third party wrote this statement? I mean, it's just astonishing how, A, how poor decisions he makes, but B, how how, how stupid he must think people are <laughs> if they're going to believe any of those types of things. So, again, this was an investigation that should have been a layup. It should have been a slam dunk. And instead, when you get Barda and Pollard and Harold all involved, it became so much more difficult than, than it needed to be. And now it's still, I mean, we're what, a week and a half into the investigation, and we, we've gone nowhere at this point. They've just gone in circles, basically. So, I don't know. It's <laughs> At some point, I, I need to stop being frustrated with Gary Barda just because uh, he is what he is. And somehow, uh, I think... Uh, that boy said it right. I mean, maybe he's just pulling a George Costanza on us. Maybe he's trying to find ways to get fired. Instead, uh, instead he's finding ways to somehow get uh, get raises and, and extensions instead. So I, I guess uh, tip of the ball cap to him for being completely inept at handling these situations, but somehow uh, falling upwards because of it. You know, another step to this, and for a long time I brought up the point, after the infamous uh, press conference after the Nebraska collapse, for Iowa back in 2014, and Kirk Ferentz continually just answering questions with, well, that's football. He went out, the University of Iowa football team went out, and they hired their own PR team, and they went that route. It's somebody that I've dealt with in the past. I've dealt with that group, setting up interviews and different things that, that have talked about on the radio side of things. And, you know, Biz, I thought, well, why doesn't the athletic department as a whole have something like that? But I was, I was thinking about this, and I'm sure that they have – at least some tentacle of that that happens university-wide and going back to the press release that you mentioned there. But then I also had this thought. Now, you could have the, the greatest PR firm back behind you, but if you're not very smart and if you're a moron and if you can't handle these things yourself, you're going to struggle. Kirk Ferentz took what it was talked to, I'm sure, about with this PR firm and has taken it to heart and actually done the things that you have asked. I don't think it matters what Gary Barta has because I don't think he gets it. I don't think he... He can rationalize it and put around these things that people are telling him, do this. He can't do it right just because he's inept at it. And, and it doesn't matter who is behind him, he'll find a way to screw it up. Well, and it reminds me of law school, Trent, because it's amazing. You go to law school, obviously, every person in law school is very intelligent. If you get into law school, you have to have book smarts. But uh, there's a major difference, as you and I know, um, you know, growing up in small town Iowa, there's a lot of people that are book smart, and there's a lot of people that are you know street smart or, or have the ability to just you know adapt and, and deal with situations as they rise. And Gary Barta clearly has plenty of, of book smarts, but I think we can both agree he is severely lacking in the other category. I mean, he's just not somebody that's going to handle these situations well. I mean, I. I I agree with you. They should have somebody working with him on it, but I, I, my guess is they have, and he just doesn't sink in, and he's somebody that's just not going to handle himself well in these situations. And, again, at some point it becomes, you know, 
shame on me and you for expecting him to get better yeah. because he, he is what he is. I mean, he's going to – if he gets involved in an investigation, I think you can pretty much bet, bet the house on the fact that things are going to go poorly at that point. That, that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, it continues to get worse, but that wasn't all biz. It wasn't just about the band and what happened to them and the assault and other allegations that were out there. No, no, no. The Des Moines Register had to uh, put their put their two cents in in one of the greatest stories here in the state, what was bringing Iowa and Iowa State fans together with all the ugliness and bitterness and Carson King and what he did, raising well over a million dollars now for the University of Iowa Children's Hospital. An Iowa State fan to do that, to be philanthropic, to take this story to a completely different level. It was something that was uniting us all, and I guess, well, the Des Moines Register and their editorial staff going out and adding, which actually was a really good article. It was a very good piece on Carson King and who he was. But and they had decided to take a uh, 180 degree turn in the last two paragraphs. Last two paragraphs. Oh, by the way, when he was 16, <laughs> he quoted Tosh.0 and a couple of racist things from that TV show. And with it, you know what? Let's take this story and turn it completely on its head. Carson King, the 24 year old. He's been the adult in this whole situation. He's handled everything absolutely perfectly to a T. The Des Moines Register, though, no surprise. They're the ones that screw up. Well, to be honest with you, I don't have a lot to add to uh, this whole situation because, you know, most things when you when you you take a side on things, there's there's a counter <laughs> a counter argument to it. I don't see anybody taking the counter argument. <laughs> no. Literally 100% of the people are, are in Carson King's uh, corner in this one, and, and I'm right there as well. Um, but, I mean, he has been an absolute, like, he's a class act. He's handled this whole thing with grace. Um, you know, tip of the ball cap to him for how he's handled it. It kind of reminds me a little bit, we talked about it, you know, a long time ago, how Dolph handled the whole situation, uh, you know, six months ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dolph t- chose to take the high road. And so is Carson King, and tip of the ball cap for him for doing it. And the whole thing, it's just, first of all, I've never seen something escalate so quickly on uh, online. I mean, that's the world we live in now. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, by 7 p.m., whatever, he has his news conference. By 11 p.m., I mean, I mean this thing had, had spiraled out of control, and basically uh, the, the reporter had already been outed for all of his uh, his past transgressions. So it doesn't take long for these uh, these things to uh, to boil up nowadays, and uh, it's the whole thing's just ridiculous. It, it's you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not sure there's a a right way to handle this situation, but there's definitely a wrong way, and and that's the way that Des Moines Register handled it. I mean, they couldn't have handled this any any worse, and uh, they just keep digging themselves deeper at this point. Yeah, they do. It, it continues to be ugly for them, and. Really do feel bad. I I know you're a fan of Chad Leistico and the work that he's done. You know, I've got to know him here in the last few months and, and doing the radio show with him a few different times. These guys, they're out there, they're doing their job, and this is something completely out of their realm. This comes down to the editorial staff, and to find that part, it comes down to the writer of it. You know, And it would have been very simple because, very simply in journalism, the who, what, when, where, why, and how of a story, this had nothing to do with it. Just be a good person and say, you know what? You're giving a lot of money here. People are probably going to be doing the same thing that I did. Delete it. Delete it. The story's over, and that guy still has a job. Now, he still has a job right now that wrote the story. But but regardless of all that, be a good person. Be a good person like Carson King is a good person, 
and this doesn't become a story, and it doesn't hurt the Des Moines Register. Yet here we are, and uh, we move on. All right, Biz, let's go to Stat Boy information for this week. You put shits hard at work, and September's is the name of the topic this week. Yeah, I think I, I think I got a fun one for you, Trent, or, or Stat Boy really does. I Again, I come up with the idea, and he, he runs with it, but... Uh, with it being a bye week and with it being a, a less than exciting opponent this Saturday, you know I don't think anybody wants to hear a twenty minute analysis of of, of the Middle Tennessee State uh, football team. So so instead, I gave Stapley an assignment to look into. Uh, we'll just politely call it Trent uh, the September suck games. Okay. The, and basically, what it is, it's the non Iowa State, non U and I non-Power 5 opponents that we've played in the month of September during the Kirk Ferentz era. So uh, I've got a quiz for you, um, five or six questions. Uh, basically, again, looking into the non-Iowa State, non-UNI, non-Power 5 opponents in September. And September suck, as you'll see, is, is the correct way because these are just some bad, bad opponents and bad football games. So unfortunately, Trent, there have been 34 of these in the Ferentz era. This will be the 34th such game on Saturday. So it'll be the 22nd different opponent we've played in the September suck era. Um, and we are a total uh, of, of the 34 games, the 33 up to this point. The first question for you, Trent, is how many of these September suck games have we lost? How many of these have we lost? September suck losses. So. Uh, Western Michigan, Central Michigan, North Dakota State, and I'm going to say that's it. You are correct. Yeah. Three of them, and the amazing thing is I thought I would stump you because there, there's technically there's a fourth one, but it gets bumped out as a technicality. We also lost to Northern Illinois in 2013, mm-hmm. but that loss, was on August 31, so it doesn't fall <laughs> in the September set count. Okay. So the three September losses, you you nail them. 2000 versus Western Michigan, 27-21. 2012 against Central Michigan, 32-31. to 31, And 2016 against North Dakota State, 23-21. to 21. There's also a fifth bad loss in there against Western Michigan but, in 2007, but that was at the end of the year in a bizarre scheduling quirk. So. And, and to be honest, I, when I said Western Michigan, I was thinking of that game. The one at the end of the season that they played with a bye week that was scheduled in there, so I had I hadn't forgot about the two thousand game, so I got by a little with with a little luck there with Western Michigan. Well, you shouldn't have been honest, Trent. So, but yeah, three, <laughs> three losses, two of them easily explainable. The two thousand team was was not very good. The two thousand twelve team was not very good. The only real head scratcher in there was was the two thousand sixteen game, but uh, um, as North Dakota State continues to show, they are they're. Certainly a formidable opponent, but the total record Trent thirty and three in the September Suck games, sixteen and two against the MAC, fourteen and one against quote unquote other opponents. Uh, when you look at the spreads, we've actually done quite well in these games. Uh, Nineteen and twelve against the spread, with a couple of FCS games where a stat boy was unable to find a, a spread back in the day. So okay. nineteen and twelve, so we've done pretty well. Second question, Trent. Let's let's get into the maction. Let, let's uh, dig into to the love of Mac football. We have played eight out of the twelve Mac teams during the September Suck games. Can you name at least seven out of the eight? 
I think so. So we have, well, the aforementioned Central Michigan. We have Western Michigan, Northern Illinois, Akron, Buffalo, Miami of Ohio. You got two. You got two left. Haven't played Bowling Green, Ohio, Ball State. Ball State is correct. One more, Trent. Uh, I said Kent State. Did not say Kent State, but that is the last one. Correct. Okay. Eight for eight. You nailed it. So we played Miami of Ohio and Northern Illinois five times each. So that yeah, we've played uh, eight of the twelve. So the flip side of that, Trent. Question number three, who are the four MAC teams we have not played? We haven't played Bowling Green, Ohio. Correct. Correct. Uh, former Drake coach Chris Creighton's Eastern Michigan Eagles. Correct. And you got one to go. And one of the, one of the better, generally better te- MAC teams, or at least in the last five to ten years. Oh, MAC. Matt, Matt Campbell's old team, Toledo. That is correct. They well played, Trent. They so, scheduled uh, well against the MAC. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we, we've uh, lots of action over the years, which uh, unfortunately is not going to change anytime soon. I looked at our uh, future schedules, and we've got lots, lots more action coming up in the next few years. So, your final MAC-related question, and this is a good one. Three MAC coaches went on to coach teams in the Big Ten. I'm going to give you the schools. Can you give me all three names? Oh. One, went on to co- one went on to coach at Indiana. One went on to coach at Michigan. One went on to Minnesota. Brady Hoke. That's correct. Um, Jerry Kill. And that is incorrect. He was he was at Northern Illinois. He was, but not he did not coach any of the teams that we played. Oh. Except he was there. The Minnesota one is even easier, Trent. You're overthinking it. Uh, PJ Fleck. You're correct. We destroyed PJ Phil Fleck. Phil Fleck. Phil Fleck. Yeah, Phil Fleck. And Tom Allen? No. Terry Hefner. Uh, Terry Hefner no. oh, from no, Miami, Ohio. Yeah. yeah. He was a Miami, Ohio coach during the Big, the big Ben years. So uh, Hoke, Fleck, and Terry Hefner. We actually played against Terry Hefner three times because we played Big Ben three times in a row. So, and he did not do well in those games. So. so now, Trent, let's move on to the non-MAC portion. We have played a total of... 13, I believe, 13 non-MAC schools in the Kirk Ferentz era. Simple question for you, Trent. I'm going to give you the names of the teams, all 13 of them. We'll list them one at a time. Your job is name that mascot. Okay. And you name, and you name 11 out of the 13 mascots. I think you can get 11 and maybe even 12. There's at least one I don't think you're going to get. I think I'll get them all. Are you going to name wow. them and I fire right back at you? Yeah, you have. you got to do it quick. This is a... Uh, Non, you got to do it within five seconds, so you can't uh, can't Google these. Okay, Are you ready? Yes. Uh, and they're going in order, starting way back from the first one up to the, the most current one. Utah State, Aggies. That's uh, one for one. Montana, Grizzlies. Yep. Maine, Black Bears. Florida International, Panthers. Arkansas State, Red Wolves. Eastern Illinois, Panthers. Ooh, I didn't think you'd get that one. Tennessee Tech. Cripes. Uh, texters. I don't know. Golden, oh, golden, 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 golden something. Golden Eagle to Tennessee oh. Tech. And that was the infamous. Rain uh, game. Rain game. It was the yeah. only, only other delay that Iowa's ever had. So uh, there's your one miss. you got to get the rest. Okay. Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe. Warhawks. 
Missouri State. Bears. Illinois State. Redbirds. North Texas. Uh, mean Green. North Dakota State. Bison. And Wyoming. Cowboys. Hey, 12 out of 13. I did not think you'd get Eastern Illinois or Tennessee Tech, but uh, well played. You, you know your mascot. So. But, boy, is that a uh, who's who of opponents <laughs> that you really don't want to play? I mean, my God, that's terrible. A lot of money paid out to those schools, and they're happy to cash the check. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I get some of the teams you play in there. I understand why you may play in Illinois State or people locally to here, but why in the world did we ever play Tennessee Tech or Florida International? I mean, just no connection whatsoever. It had to have been literally you were scraping the bottom of the barrel at that point. That is certainly the case there. September suck. Well, let's hope this one uh, turns out a little bit better than some of those sucky games we've seen of the past. Cruising victory against Middle Tennessee. You know, they got a quarterback that can move around a little bit. Haven't been very good stopping the run, though. This should be get healthy, get ready for Michigan. That is the hope, certainly, this week. Yeah, I see they've given up over 200 yards rushing to, to all three of their opponents, including Tennessee State. So I would certainly hope we can uh, we can really uh, manhandle them up front. That is certainly the hope. Anything else that concerns you about the Blue Raiders? No, we're not done with this quiz yet. Oh, we still have two more uh, two more quiz questions left, and I think they're both one you should definitely be able to get. These are individual questions. First, go back to Kirk Ferentz's first win ever, uh-huh. uh, Northern Illinois in 1999. Mm-hmm. Simple question: We sealed the deal with a blocked field goal return, 87 yards to, to seal the win. Who returned that blocked field goal? Oh, that's an easy one. Big 97, LeVar Woods. That is correct. And the last question, this one's a tougher one. I don't know if you'll get this. In 2013, we had a game with two punt return touchdowns and two interception return touchdowns in the same game. Who returned the two punts and who had the two INT touchdowns? Micah Hyde returned the punts. That's wrong. You, you, you said it with such confidence, but you're wrong. Uh, I don't know. Who returned the punts then? Devontae Martin-Manley. Oh, punts, yes, yes, yes. Devontae Martin-Manley, and they were two uh, 83-yard punt return and 63-yard punt return. And then in the second half, a D-back had back-to-back INT returns for a touchdown. You, can you remember the D-back? Tanner Miller? No, Boots. B.J. La- BJ Lowry. Ah, oh, B.J. Lowry, wow. I remember the Martin-Manley. Uh, yeah, I don't remember I the B.J. Lowry. I do not part. remember the no. uh, INT Probably because uh, those INT returns, the score was already uh, it was already forty five to three going into those, and the two Oof. picks made it uh, fifty two and fifty nine to three. And that was the uh, aforementioned uh, Phil Fleck, PJ Fleck squad. Philip, what a geek! Not, the boat, the boat sank that day, Trent. That it did. All right, so you got one more piece of this. Got to do better to finish up. Well, that that, that, that was it. Those, those oh, okay, that was the two pieces. I do have two random info. You did you did pretty well on the quiz. I'm impressed. Your your knowledge of September suck is pretty good. Most of these games are, are very forgetful. But you uh, you remembered more than I would have. That's for sure. But two random kind of uh, pieces of info that Stat Boy dug up to finish. They're not quizzes, but they're two things I think you'll really enjoy, Trent. Okay. The okay. 2000, 2000 game is Western Michigan. The game that we unfortunately lost. Robert Gallery caught his only pass that game, so uh, <laughs> he, he had he had not moved over to a. Uh, tackle yet he did that middle of the year and by the end of the year he was actually uh 
playing regularly as a tackle. But at that point in the year, he was still playing tight end, and he caught one pass for four yards. Then the other random random uh, tidbit, this is one of my favorite ones ever that Stat Boy has dug up. In 2005, against Ball State, Adolphus Shelton ran the ball three times for seven yards. That's the same Adolphus Shelton that yes. had a huge pick against Purdue back in 2002. I uh, had completely forgotten that he uh, hung around and eventually uh, – moved over to running back when, when we had uh, a lot of running back issues in, in 2004 and 2005. So Adolphus Shelton, three carries for seven yards in 2005. So as you know, I, I, I promised to name my child Adolphus after his pick in 2002 and then failed to follow up on that promise. Disappointed. You know, I, I really, every time I see Bodie, I should just call him Adolphus. I, I think that really should be something that we all, our tailgate group, needs to do. He, he uh he doesn't look like an Adolphus, that's for sure. But uh, he, uh, he, he, he that that would be his namesake, or should have been his namesake. Just like uh, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, that I, I thought uh, if you, you took so long to name Jack after, after Devontae Young recovered the uh, the fumble the, the fumbled punt against Iowa State, it's not too late to uh, to change Jack to Devontae either. So it's true. It's true. Should maybe head that route, alas. Here we are. We got Jack Condon instead out there. Blue Raiders this week, Biz. Anything else? We we touched on it briefly. Anything else that concerns? How about we get some sacks this week? Three on the season. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like this is a quarterback that kind of does everything for them. He runs, he throws, he does everything, which means I would think there's going to be some times when we're going to be able to get some pressure on him. So, yeah, let's, uh, it'd be nice if we could get uh, double-digit sacks in a game, but uh, yeah, that's as we've talked about in the past, it's probably been our biggest concern through three games is the, the lack of pressure from the front four. So let, let's uh, let, let's change that this week. But, no, uh, to answer your question, I don't have any major worries about Middle Tennessee State. They, they appear to be uh, a very, very mediocre uh, – are they a Conference USA team? I'm not even sure. That sounds right, yes. That they sounds right. Good Either way, they're middle of the road in, in one of those two conferences, so – my guess is you're going to see something very similar to the Miami-Ohio game. I think they'll stick around for a while. They'll make it a decent game for a while. and We'll eventually pull away and win by right around the spread number of 24. That would be good. Uh, yeah, the point spread on this one, I don't have a real strong opinion. I kind of do like the over. So I'll open at 49. I think it's up to like 52.5. So there's been some movement there. But I guess if I had to make a play in this game, I'd probably lean towards the over. You have any feeling one way or the other on either spread or uh, total? No, I don't. I, I honestly think that twenty four is going to be about right on the dot. I think it'll it'll come down to whether uh, we score a meaningless touchdown at the end or they score a meaningless touchdown. And you know, I, I just not, as a rule, I generally never like overs at all in Iowa games. But uh, this may be the exception of the rule. So I, I probably uh, side with you that if I had to pick something, the over might be the. Uh, the best of the options, but then I also see that it might be raining during the game, which means it may end up being uh, 17 to 3 as well. Yeah, and that very well could be the case. Well, speaking of that, let's get into our picks for the week. Another lost week for me as I lost another 200 bucks of our 500 we bet each we were week. We're close, though, Trent. The fight for the line, I had, had uh, Scott Frost on the rope. They just couldn't put him out. Couldn't finish it off. That would have been a nice payday and certainly flipped things over, but. I am now down $700 on the year. You lost 100 bucks last week, and uh, you are still plus in the green this year. 
you are plus 200 on the season. Feeling good about this week? The slate is uh, kind of throwing me for a loop. I'm not going to lie. I I decided to keep it simple this week. I've only got three bets. I have our, our one that we're required to do and then, and then two others. There's two that uh, really jumped out at me, so I'm keeping it simple this week, Chen. Three, three bets only. All right. I, uh, I've decided to go a different route this week, so let you go first. Take it away. I got five bets this week that I'm going to do, but you kick it off. What are you really liking this week? Well, the, the two, I'll give you both bets I really like this week. Uh, I really like Iowa State at, at minus three um, at Baylor. I just think that Iowa State's the, the Haycock, whatever his name, the defensive coordinator, he has the spread teams in, in the Big 12 figured out. Um, you know, he's, he struggles against the more physical teams, you know, Texas and Iowa, teams like that can do things against them, but Teams like Baylor, uh, he's got them figured out. I just don't think Baylor's that good of a team. I think they're they're okay, but I think Iowa State is uh, a better football team. I think they're going to be motivated after the whole debacle last year with the, the fight and Montgomery getting suspended and everything. Uh, I think this is a game where, where Iowa State's going to come and, and just blow the doors off Baylor, to be honest with you. I, I think it's going to be a double-digit win for Iowa State. and uh, I this, this is a win-win bet, Trent, because uh, – Either either I win money with Iowa State winning, or or Baylor shocks me and wins, and I and I get to celebrate the fact that Iowa State lost the game. So the only way this ends poorly is if Iowa State somehow wins this by uh, two or less, which very well could happen. And it is gambling; those types of things happen. So you mentioned last week I had Illinois on the money line and playing well. When you're betting the money line, isn't enough? They got to win the game straight up. So I decided this week I'm going to take five shots, five shots at underdogs. 100 bucks each and see if we can just come up with something. If we have two of these hit, we're going to be in really good shape. My first game that I'm going to go as, at. As we all know, Trent, when it comes to gambling, <laughs> the, the, the more ways that you spread your money out, the better. You know? <laughs> ah, yeah, this is going to be fun. we got to do things different here, Biz. We can't just be doing the same thing, especially when I keep losing money. So I'm going to take a shot here, and I'm going to start Friday night, Big Ten matchup. I'm taking Maryland. Taking Maryland. Six and a half, seven, seven and a half, depending on where you're shopping. That is the number right there. For our purposes, though, the money line is plus 210. So plus 210, of course, will yield 310 back the other way if it does hit. So my first of my $500 money line underdog picks, the Terrapins against Penn State, a Penn State team certainly that has been uneven. Maryland's looked really good at times. They've looked bad at times. I'm going to take a shot with the Terps. I like it, Chris. Five money line underdog. You are you are truly chasing the dragon at this point. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear your other four. But I'll, I'll give you up my other uh, favorite pick this week. Uh, I, I love Washington minus ten versus USC. I, I think uh, the Pac-12 is not very good, but I think uh, there are two good teams in the Pac-12. Washington has is a good team, and I think Cal is a good team. And everybody else is uh, mediocre at best. And, and USC. Eventually, all the quarterback injuries have, have got to uh, got to catch up to them. Uh, I think Washington's legitimately a good team. They lost a, kind of a fluky game at 4:30 in the morning after the bizarre weather delay. But I think Washington and Iowa State are kind of in both both in the same category to me. They're both really good teams that lost in bizarre circumstances, uh, and I think they're both going to uh, put up a uh, send a message this week. I think Washington wins big and, and covers minus 10 against USC, just like the Clones do. Pretty easy there. How much you put? How much you putting on both those games? Uh, 
225 on each trip. Two, 225 on Washington, 225 on Iowa State. 225 on each of them for, of course, housekeeping purposes. That leaves 50 bucks uh, for your final pick in the game day game this week. All right, I'm going to fire a couple more at you. These are the two slighter underdogs. They're not going to get quite the return. Versus Toledo, they welcome in BYU. BYU's played an incredibly difficult schedule. They've looked good. They've looked bad. They bounce back and forth. They go to Toledo, only plus 125 here. That's the only thing you're going to get on Toledo money line. But I just wonder what's left in the tank, certainly for uh, for BYU. So I'm going to grab the Rockets with that one. The other one, Oklahoma State really liked them last week and talked about the importance of getting the right number. That was the case. For our purposes at 5.5, that was a loser. As we recorded the podcast last week, Oklahoma State was getting 5.5. By the time the game kicked off, the Cowboys were getting a touchdown. If you had that, they lost by 6 you would have been a winner. So always get the best number. Try to get the best number. If you did, you were a winner. And I think you even said on the air last week, you, you called that that, mo- that number was going to move up yep. six and a half to seven, and it did. So uh, if I was a nice person, I'd give you the win on that one, Trent, but I'm not going to. Yeah, we, we all know better than that. I'm going to go the opposite way, though. What's left in the tank for Oklahoma State, I still don't have a great read on this Kansas State team, but plus 165, that's worth a fire for me. Kansas State on the money line. So the Rockets and K-State, uh, the two of the slider. My other one, speaking of what's left in the tank, you know, the, the body blow theory that's out there from our friends at the Salad Verbal, Notre Dame. They come back home, Virginia. They can play defense. Perkins can move around back there in the pocket. Maybe this is one of those weird 16-13 type of games that just comes down, maybe and goes to overtime. I think Virginia, though, you're getting plus 385 at that number here. Money line shot, we're going to take it again, 100 bucks on the Who's, plus 385. So those are my first four $100 bets. Maryland plus 210, Toledo plus 125, K-State plus 165, and Virginia plus 385. Finally, the game day game, Biz, you got 50 bucks left. Where are you going? Well, I don't, I don't know what to think of Nebraska at this point because they, uh, they looked absolutely horrible at times against Illinois, but they also do clearly have a heck of an offense. And uh, we all know Ohio State can always put up points, and, and Nebraska is still very bad at run defense. So uh, I don't have a great feel on this game, but uh, to me the over should be higher than 67. So I'll put my remaining 50 on, on over 67. I think this is going to be a, uh, a Big 12-type shootout where Ohio State wins, uh, I don't know, 48 to 28 or something, but it's going to go over 67. And I'll, I'll, I'll wager a whole 50 bucks on that. Too. 50 bucks on that final one. All right. Well, I got one more $100 shot, so you know where I'm going here. Nebraska, plus 675 on the money line. Hey, they had Ohio State on the ropes last year in Columbus, and that was not a very good Nebraska team. Maybe it's just Martinez can play well in this spot. I don't know. Hey, if this one hits, the other four can lose, and I'm going to still walk away with the profit for this week. So I'll grab the Cornhuskers for 100 bucks plus 675. Boy, Biz, this has got 0-5 written all over it, doesn't it? But, but just just to clarify, Trent, last last week you didn't think Nebraska was good enough to beat the Lovey Smith uh, fighting the Lion Eye. But this week you've turned it uh, full circle and you think they're going to beat uh, –
at least one, maybe two of those will hit for you. I do not like the Maryland one. I do not like the Nebraska ones, which means those two will probably be the ones that win. Well, if two of those hit, we're going to be in good shape and uh, actually get a profitable week, something that hasn't happened. Biz, before we get out of here, let's do it once again. It's time for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Trent says, this is a simple one. Uh, tip of the ball cap to your Minnesota Twins, Trent. It's been, it's been a decade, and they finally got to celebrate it last night. Uh, you got to celebrate those types of things because, uh, as you know, as a Twins fan and me as a Mets fan, it doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot, of year, lot more years of ineptitude over the last uh, 30 years than, than there have been good years. So uh, celebrate it and enjoy it. And uh, speaking of baseball, the other part of this is beat, Trent. Uh, you and I are, are locked in an epic battle for the uh, – the annual Osage Fantasy Football uh, title. I think we are tied, or Fantasy Baseball title, sorry, going into today. I think we are tied, and we have been tied pretty much consistently for the last month. So uh, let, let, let's see uh, who the best man is over the last four days. Yeah, it's one of those. It's also a league, the old school league, where each transaction costs a buck. So it adds to the kitty here. So how much do you want to invest down the stretch here to improve the team I don't know how much improvement there can be out of my squad. Max Kepler, he's been shut down the last couple of weeks. That has certainly hurt. Yeah, i got to make a decision here with four days to go, and really three days to go as games are already going here today. What I'm going to do if I'm going to keep firing and try to build my team up. It's been it's been a good one, no doubt, and I uh, love playing in that league year after year. Memories of sitting in our elementary school and making my first ever fantasy baseball draft uh, some 30 years ago here this year. Yeah, that, that league is so old that we used to do stats by pulling out the uh, the USA Todays and uh, doing them handwritten. So uh, a lot has changed in 30 years of fantasy baseball. That it has. But at the top, of, we are fighting for a title. Biz, good stuff there. We will talk again next week in preparation for the Michigan Wolverines. That should be certainly a big, big week in front of us here. Got to get by Middle Tennessee State. No Chippewas this week, all right? Yeah, and sadly, Trent, uh, this is the the end of an era. I will not be in Kinnick Stadium this week for the first wow. time in, in 20 years of home games. So I knew I knew it was coming. My, my son is a uh, varsity cross-country runner now, and uh, my guess is over the next four years there will be quite a few games I'll be missing. But uh, I guess if you have, an, have to end an era, at least it's against a uh, one of the September suck opponents. So, uh I will not be in Kinnick Stadium. I don't believe you will be either. No. So the first time ever in podcast history, we will, we will have to uh, rely on Statboy to give us the uh, the on-the-ground uh, info for the uh, Middle Tennessee State squad. Well, best of luck to young Adolphus, and best of luck to the Liberty Lightnings this week in cross-country. Yeah, go Bolt and uh, go Hawks.